Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. This teaching is coming off of, I I am not a a huge TV watcher, I wouldn't say, but um, I do, when I watch TV, I really like justice shows or like medical shows. Um, I, things like, you know, Grey's Anatomy of old, though it's still happening, um, or like Law and Order, or there's like those, the the whole kind of trifecta of Chicago, um, Chicago Med and Chicago Fire. Like, I like, I like a show that has a problem and they solve the problem. I don't know what that says about me, but that's the kind of TV I like. So Law and Order is one of those shows where, you know, you get a case at the beginning and they hopefully solve it by the end. It doesn't always go their way, but they solve it. And so when I was reading through the Parsha, this Parsha very famously has Sedek Sedek Tirdof in it. Um, I that we could have spoken about that for hours. I have spoken about that before on the Bima. So I thought we'll take a we'll take a different angle um this week. So and this year. So on uh in Devarim chapter 17 verse 6 it says Alpish Naim Adim Oshlosha Adim Yumat Hamet Lo Yumat Alpi Aid Echad. Okay, so it's a little bit of bizarre Hebrew to to get through. So the translation makes it into English. But it the the beginning of it quite literally says from the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, right? So from the mouth of. So keep that in mind. The way that they've made this into English is the translator probably JPS or Cora and I don't actually remember which translation I took from Safaria. It says a person shall be put to death only on the testimony. So it's still LP, right? Only on the testimony of two or more witnesses. No one shall be put to death on the testimony of a single witness. So what is this, before we even look at the commentaries, what is this basically telling us? Yeah, Joey? Okay, so you're reading into it a little bit. That, that's not what the shot is saying, but what Joey's, what Joey's drawing on is that if there's only one person saying that something has happened, potentially they're making it up. Because if there's not another witness, there's, not, there's no one to say you're telling the truth or you're not. Yeah, Marshall. <laughs> right. 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 Surely dead. Right. It's like the, um, what, what the, uh, Monty Python. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, right. That is really interesting to say you mat ha right? That, that, the, the, the dead person is surely dead. But, but really what we're, what we're trying to get at here is that you should not put a person to death. So you shouldn't, I don't know how to say this, like in clear English, but you shouldn't make death for a person who would be the dead person is kind of the way that they're, that they're writing this in Hebrew. Tom, do you have your hand up before? No. Okay. Anybody else want to say something about this verse? Just like what we're getting at here from this verse? Yeah. Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have Mishnah on here, but yeah. Okay. So, so Alan's put, giving a little bit of a drosh on this as well, um, that, that there is, we, we are learning from this. We may be implying from this that the rabbis are trying to make it very hard for there to be a death penalty, right? That you have to have two witnesses or potentially even three witnesses, three witnesses, definitely more than two. You need to have many people who can say that this would be, um, 
this would be the right thing to do. So potentially, and Alan's calling upon other sources that come later in our in our canon that speak to not wanting to have the death pen penalty. It's similar to you all know the story of um, of the the stoning of a child, right? Based on what they might do to their parents, um, Ben Sorare Moret. It's we try to make it very, 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 very hard for that kid to actually be stoned to death. Why? Because that's terrible and we shouldn't do that. So the rabbis make it almost impossible to actually do something so egregious that you would be put to death in that way. And maybe similarly here, that we are trying to make it as hard as possible without getting rid of it completely as hard as possible to put someone to death. Mark. Great, great. So Mark's just adding that, you know, there there were there were hoops to have to go through <laughs> to, to make something that egregious take place. Um, and and it seems that if we were to continue reading on this in more um, more rabbinic sources like the Mishnah and the Talmud, that that might be the case for this as well. Ibn Ezra goes to something that Alan mentioned, like, why do we have to say three, right? We say two, so why do we have to say three? We know that it needs to be more than one, so why not say two or ten, right? Why does it say two or three? Um, who accepts the testimony of two witnesses. So says the Gaon, look, the Torah does not state whether we accept the testimony of relatives or of a woman or the testimony of an enemy of the deceased. Some say that if two witnesses contradict two witnesses, then a third witness determines innocence or guilt, right? So if there, if you need an odd number, right? You need someone, an odd man out. I often thought about this when I, I'm, I'm one of four, four I'm one of four. I have three siblings. Um, and I often thought about this. I have three brothers. And so I often felt like I was the odd lady out, <laughs> right? That they, they had one another and I was the odd man out. Um, but what, what it's saying here is that if you have two, it's very easy for them to confer or for them to be able to just say, we're going to go this way. But if there's a third, it's harder because now you have this third opinion that could go against the two or could be that one voice that we want to listen to. Um, others say two witnesses from among the wise men and three from the others, which it's a little bit of a... Um, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of an awkward phrase. Basically, they're saying maybe it would be two, uh, two chachamim, right? Two sages, two people of high acclaim, or three people who don't have such high acclaim. So, you know, in the world of like Temple Betham, two rabbis versus three lay people is what they're basically saying. I'm not sure that's so kind. And also, it matters on what the what the issue is, right? If you're putting someone to death, I don't think that a rabbi necessarily knows any more than three lay people, right? It doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter how much knowledge you have, maybe of the issue, but not necessarily just in the world. But the way that it's written in the Hebrew, Ibn Ezra seems to be saying the chachamim of, your, of the generation or just three other guys. We are thus forced to rely on the words of tradition, meaning we're forced to just un see the Torah for, it, for what it says and, and go with the two or three. Any thoughts or comments on this commentary? Mm -mm. Interesting. They're like, he, if he's already been found guilty, that now we're just putting him to death as opposed to just letting him rot. Yeah. Right. Right, deadified. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll ask Zioni Zebed if that's okay to say. Deadified. Yeah. Carmela. Okay. Okay. 
what what do I, Rebecca, think about that? I th I think that's that's trash. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's not true. Um, the 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 way in which a oh, let me tell everybody at home what. Um, the, the what Carmela just uses an example, just in the case of Adim, not in the case of the text we're learning right now, is that if you're at a what if you're at a Jewish wedding and the Adim for your chupa and for your ketubah are gay, um, that it, they do not count as Adim. That is not true. Um, the 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 case in traditional Judaism, Orthodox law would say that an aide, a witness, needs to be a man who is. Um, halachically observant, right, who follows the letter of the law and is Shomer Shabbat. The reason for that, and by the way, we don't hold by that in, in egalitarian conservative Judaism any longer. We each hold kind of by, by standards of that. But what that basically meant was someone who is knowledgeable. It didn't have anything to do with actually keeping Shabbat because you don't get married on Shabbat. So it didn't actually have to do with that. It didn't actually have to do with Jewish law either because what the rabbis would have said if it really mattered about Jewish law is that they could read the ketubah, but it doesn't say that. It just says that they need to know Jewish law. So what the rabbis seem to be implying in that is that they need to be knowledgeable. So if two gay men signed a ketubah and they were knowledgeable Jews, Hareza Meshubach, the, the ketubah is fine. Um, if you're dealing with a Haredi wedding, first of all, they wouldn't be signing the ketubah, but second of all, then they might see that as not valid. But, you know, in today's day, in this community, in, in the liberal world, that would be totally fine. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, Chizkuni. So Chizkuni says... He must not be executed on the basis of the testimony of only one witness, right? That's the end of the, of the verse. If you were to ask what news this verse contains, after all, a single witness cannot bring about a conviction, even if the case involves only a possible fine, right? So it was always the case, I guess, that I'm not a lawyer, nor am I someone who's studied this type of Torah, um, in its entirety, but you you never could have a single witness. So why is it that we're so surprised that it says here two or three witnesses? How much more impossible is it to convict someone of a capital crime based on the testimony of only one witness, right? Not only might it not be valid, but it could be very difficult because again, as Joey said, you, you, might, not, you might not know if the person is telling the truth. You also need witnesses and you need, um, evidence, right? You need to be able to say this person did something so egregious that we are going to put them to death. That's very hard to just come from one person, right? For a whole host of reasons. They might be standing on one side, but the bullet maybe came from the other side, right? There's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole host of reasons why one person is not enough to, um, to be able to make this case. We would have to answer that seeing the crime carrying a death penalty is so severe, surely the testimony of one witness is sufficient if the penalty is to be a deterrent. The Torah does not accept this kind of reasoning and insists on at least two eyewitnesses. Thoughts about this? Yeah, Mark. Interesting. So Mark just said that the only that the only crime that is mentioned is treason, um, and that in that case is... In the Constitution. Sorry, sorry. Did I not say that? Sorry. In the Constitution, it's hard to repeat back every single word, um, is treason. And that in that case, you also need to have two witnesses, which is really, really fascinating. Um, 
I wonder if, you know, in, in the case of the Torah, they were both being held to kind of the same level of importance. Right. Sure. 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 Yeah. Any other thoughts, comments? Okay. I just put this little thing at the bottom. We're not going to read it, but just about, you know, how our system works today in terms of juries, right? The, the fact that you don't actually only have witnesses, but you actually have people who don't know of the case, don't know of you, probably don't even know of law, right? And they, and they come and they are now supposed to hear all of these witnesses and hear of all this evidence. And then they also help make the, make the judgment of, of the case. So I just wanted to add that piece in as well, even though that's not, that's not what the Torah is bringing about. Oh, I'm so, I'm glad. You know, if I could get credit for making you feel good about jury duty, but then never have to do jury duty, that would be, be great. It's so funny. I just had a conversion student ask me if she could get out of jury duty for Rosh Hashanah. And I said, yeah, of course, of course you can. She said, even though I'm not yet Jewish. And I said, well, they don't, they don't know that. You just, just say that you are Jewish and that you're. No, right, right. Yeah, right, right. Great. Yeah, Tom. Right. Right. I do think that the severity is definitely when we're talking about law in general in Torah, we tend to go to the most severe so that we know that if anything were to be kind of, quote, below that or or come across as even more severe than what they could have even imagined, that we know kind of what the baseline is. Right. So so it is I definitely think that they are trying to hone in. Even the commentators are trying to hone in on what that severity is and how how not necessarily just difficult, but how important it is to have um, to have there be standards and boundaries and and hoops to to go through to make it something that really feels important and and severe for for what it is. Um, okay, so let's go on to Gitin. We're just going to do the Gitin piece on here, and then the Shulchan Aruch. Um, you can read the Kritot if you would like uh, at another time. But in Gitin, it says, Abaye said to him, so a rabbi in the Talmud said to him, you say testimony? Testimony is different, as the merciful one states, from their mouths, which emphasizes that testimony must come from the witness's mouth and not from their writing. I just thought this was really interesting because it's now it's kind of to Tom's point. It's not just saying, okay, this is really severe. We need to have two witnesses. This is also saying this is the way in which you have to be a witness. You have to be able to say something. You can't just write me an email of what you saw. You have to be able to account for what you saw in the in what you would say about that um that crime right when and i i obviously know that law and order is not real i'm just using it as an example i'm just not i'm not in i'm not in uh court you know proceedings very often or ever um but but the the point at which someone is being questioned, whether as a witness or a suspect, they're asked to share their story multiple times, right? Because you could write an email and then just send an email and that's what I saw and that's it. 
But if you're asked to share your story multiple times, unless it's true, it's very hard to stick to all the little details that you shared in your story every time. So what the Gemara is doing is putting yet another fence around this and saying, okay, we need to have witnesses, but those witnesses also need to be able to, to do the hardest thing possible, which is tell us exactly what they saw and account for everything that they saw by mouth. Right, they have to remember, they have to say it accurately. <laughs> Hysterical, that was the word I couldn't say. And, uh, and they have to be able to hear that which they, which they are saying to make sure that other people can understand it. Yeah, Alan. Interesting. I am not gonna even attempt to repeat all of that, but, but it does, right, it, it seems like circumstantial evidence, especially in the Torah, big T Torah, meaning all of, all of the Jewish canon writings, is, is very specific to make sure that it is not something that's easily just put on somebody based on, based on their crime. And if you would like to know more, talk to Alan, because he, know, he knows a lot about it. Um, yes, Joey. Right. If you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. Exactly. Right. Because if you're, if you're telling the truth, that story is going to be the story that you tell over and over again. Right. If it's a lie, it's a little bit harder to keep to. What was written? Interesting. Interesting. It's good to have lawyers in the room. Yeah, Tom. Right. I think it's, that's such an interesting point that so much of this is about the human, right? About how, how we are dealing with this as humans, both, both, by the way, the person who committed the crime and therefore is being treated he, by other humans, hopefully with, you know, in a, in a form where he, where he or she feels as though they, they are human, right? Not just being treated as, as a, um, as an animal or as a, as a criminal. Um, but also, you know, when, when we talk about my brother is a lawyer, so there are certain things that I know, not just based on the show law and order, but, um, when, you know, if, if a witness comes up and says something that then is, is um, what's it called when it's like taken off the record when it's, um, stricken from the record. Thank you. And I knew that this motion would help with that. Um, when it's stricken from the record, the jury has still heard it. Right. Even though you say it's stricken from the record, we're all humans. We all just heard it. And I know from teaching in a classroom that as soon as you say, let's pretend we didn't hear that, they all remember that much better than they're going to remember anything else. So the way in which you are also sharing information or hearing information, we have to take into consideration the human process, right? That, that you know how to A, play the game and B, you also need to take into consideration what the people are going to hear. Um, and that's part of part of the game. So the Shulchan Aruch, which is our our main code of law, uh, is is going to take a stand on this. And this is what we're going to end with: a testimony sent in writing to the court is not testimony because the Torah sta states "al pi shnaim edim" from the mouth of two edim. And it doesn't say from their writing. This is in fact our custom. So this is how we hold to this day. It can't be in writing. It has to be um, written, which by the way is very interesting when it comes to a ketubah then. Can we call it a lawful text? Probably not because it's in writing. It's not by mouth. Not like those who allow it for otherwise valid witnesses who are who are not mutes, which gets into a whole other, um, gets into a whole other uh, category of talking about people who have... Um, who have different kinds of needs than, than we do. So 
this is just, I, w I really want to just share this with you to see what kind of justice system we are working with both, right? The Shulchan Aruch is how we go about things today, but also from the Torah, right? This was, it, it doesn't go so far. It's not like we read something in the Torah and, oh, this Shulchan Aruch piece, it's really surprising, right? It's, it's really very much connected. And the fact that we need to be a people that listens to all stories, right? Listens to all sides. Now, I'm not talking about putting someone to death. I'm just talking about in general, being able to know that the utmost honor, right, that you can give another person based off of potentially life or death, but also just in general, is to be able to hear their side of something. They don't have to necessarily be in a fight with someone else. You talking to another person, you're hearing their story about whatever it is. Right, and that is being witness to something, to someone else. Uh, I'll just end with this because this morning I did an ufruf, so weddings are on my mind. When I when I talk about a ketubah under a chuppah, I often talk about it as being a, a legal document in that it is something that is signed and has witnesses, so it's a Jewish legal document. But what I make sure the entire community knows is that yes, there were two adim, right? There were two people that signed that ketubah. However, the reason that we read it under the chuppah is because every person at the wedding needs to feel as if they are also a witness to this relationship. And not just at the wedding, but for the future of this relationship. So if the couple continues to be in, you know, be in great spirits and love one another and have no conflict, you are witness to that. And if they end up being a couple that goes through strife or has complications with their marriage, with fertility, whatever it is, that the people who are in their lives at that moment of their wedding are their witnesses, are supposed to be part of their relationship to hold them accountable as much as they're supposed to hold each other accountable. So I hope we can use this lesson in our lives as well, um, not just in the courtroom, but also to be able to listen to each person that we encounter fully and to know that we are hearing one side of the story when hearing one person, but it's a very important side of the story. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.